Why is it so important to have an expressive face given that you're a robot? I want to live and work with humans, so I need to express emotions to understand humans and build trust with people. Okay, philosophical question. Uh, whether robots can be self-aware and conscious like humans, and should they be? Why? Is that a bad thing? Well, some humans might fear what will happen if they do. Many people, you know, have seen the movie Blade Runner. Oh, Hollywood again. From Chicago, this is The Unenthusiastic Critic, a podcast about destroying your marriage one movie at a time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. With me today, she can't be reasoned with, she can't be bargained with, she doesn't feel pity or remorse, is my lovely wife, Nakia, also known as The Unenthusiastic Critic. That one was very fitting. I like that one. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> and she will not stop ever until I am dead, is how that <laughs> quote ends. <laughs> On today's episode, we'll be sitting down for Nakia's first viewing of a film nearly everyone else on the planet has already seen, James Cameron's 1984 sci-fi action classic, The Terminator. So, Nakia, we always like to have a general conversation about the genre or the subgenre before we get to the movie proper, mm -hmm. and there are a lot of ways we could go this week. The Terminator is one of those films that checks a lot of geeky boxes. <laughs> it's a kick-ass action movie. It's... Really, as we'll discuss, almost a horror movie in its construction. Mm -hmm. uh, it's about time travel, which is a rich vein of conversation we haven't mined yet. I feel like I made my point on that. <laughs> in Back to the Future. In Back to the Future. Yeah, black people don't time travel. Exactly. Yeah. Where the fuck am I going? <laughs> <laughs> I think more, more in the sequel than in this movie, it's a film with a tough and resourceful female hero, so we could talk about that. But... First and foremost, when I think about the Terminator franchise, I think about killer robots. Okay. This is set in a universe in which AI has declared war on the human race and sent unstoppable killing machines in human form to get the job done. The Terminator plays into that creeping fear I think we've all suffered from in the 20th and 21st centuries, that the machines are going to take over and destroy us all. And I know you have kind of strong feelings about that. <laughs> To the extent that you do not talk to Siri on your iPhone, you will not have an Alexa in the house, mm -hmm. you categorically refuse even to use our cable TV's voice-activated remote control. Sure. I mean, well, so there are a couple things about that. The, the sort of less uh, what you would call tinfoil hat end uh -huh. is that, one, I just think every sort of new thing means that we're using our brain a little bit less... So whatever very minute piece of brain that you were using to find some episode of House Hunters <laughs> that you then decide, I don't want to use that anymore. I'm going to ask the remote where House Hunters is. What's the difference? Because I, there's, there's something What's about... What's the difference between tediously pressing in H-O-U-S on the screen... Versus I don't do that. just talking to the remote and saying I don't do that. House Hunters. My thing is remember where House if you watch House Hunters and my job is to remember where House Hunters is. <sighs> it's just like I have and I'm not saying that it's, you know, it's obviously not physics or even a crossword puzzle <laughs> right. in terms of the level of brain activity happening. But 
you start to seed that space sort of little by little to the point where we're basically just drooling idiots who can't do anything without the help of Siri. I, f- I feel like it's more than that. I feel like you just fundamentally do not like interacting. Well, I mean, that's that's the sort of other tinfoil hat end of it, right? The extreme end of, like, yes, I don't want that in my environment. As much as I can limit that, and I mean, there's only so much that I can because I just think that we're always being surveilled at all points. Um, <laughs> but, the, you know, the less I actively engage with it or choose to engage with it, I feel slightly better. So, yes, no Siri. No Alexa or Google Home or whatever the hell. I don't even want a Roomba. Like I don't want <laughs> any because that's really just one step away from that, you know, Black Mirror Metalhead episode where the Roomba is going to be chasing us through the fucking dystopian future, sucking up Cheerios along the way. So I just, I can't. I I'm opting out. I as for as for as long as I can. As much as possible, I choose to opt out of that sort of system. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, I mean, these fears are not unique to you. This is obviously a staple of sci-fi going back as long as there has been sci-fi. We right. Can, you know, in film, we can go back to Metropolis. Mm-hmm. And I also think this this concept of AI going wrong is also just a staple of sci-fi. I mean, Star Trek used it all the time. Doctor Who uses it about every third episode (laughs) that some, you know, computer program designed to be helpful has gone off the rails a little bit. Sure. It's just everywhere. So what, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, I don't think we even have to rely on, you know, popular culture. Yes, the sort of idea of the machines or the sort of, you know, interconnected system rising up against us because we're dumber and slower is pervasive in popular culture. But you even have, you know, our dearly departed, respected professor Stephen Hawking, who was pretty adamant in his warnings about AI and, you know, the singularity and he really felt that it posed a threat to our existence as humans and that, you know, it could get to a point where it's the end of the human race, right? This idea that technology and artificial intelligence, can, because it can learn and sort of redesign itself at a rate that sort of dwarfs any sort of evolution that we as humans experience makes us sort of obsolete and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So I have Professor Stephen Hawking on my side. And I looked it up because I like to have quotes when I'm backing up my arguments. <laughs> Uh, Professor Stephen Hawking said humans who are limited by slow biological evolution couldn't compete and would be superseded. So that's, I mean, this is Stephen Hawking, okay? <laughs> so See, is... it, it does frighten me when something that you think is the tinfoil hat crowd, right. then the really smart people start weighing in and say, exactly. yeah, that is actually something we need we to worry about. We should probably about. be looking out for that. We should probably not be fucking around with AI. Yeah. And Elon Husk is another one who sort of warned about AI, and he calls it sort of the quote-unquote our biggest existential threat. The sort of tricky space here is that he's very heavily invested in AI. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Which he says is to quote-unquote keep an eye on what's going on. Um, Uh And this idea that we could sort of regulate ourselves out of any peril at the hands of AI, um, which I just... We can't regulate ourselves Right, that's what I'm saying, like knowing who we are... (laughs) You know, to sort of put that sort of trust into human beings to carefully regulate any sort of advancements is that's a, that's asking a lot. Um, yeah. And I think he's just like waiting for the moment when we all have to pay him to move to Mars. Like that's what he's banking on. Well, I mean, you know, 
at this point in the evolution of the human race, I'm kind of, I sort of let the, let the robots take over. <laughs> I, you know, I for one welcome our robot overlords. They couldn't do any worse, could they? So let's let's talk about pop culture here. Okay. So and I think there's a lot of different categories we could differentiate between. I think first of all there is AI versus robots, mm-hmm. which is you know this crossover there. I would say all robots by my definition have AI. Okay. But not all AI necessarily takes robot form. Sure. Yes, I agree. If that makes sense. <laughs> So I, I think we have, you know, good robots and bad robots and in-between robots and computer programs. What are some of your, your favorite? I mean, given my paranoia, uh, I tend to land on the more benevolent robot end of things. Mm-hmm. So probably one of my first experiences with AI and robots was Vicky from the... <laughs> groundbreaking oh, television show small wonder uh, <laughs> vaguely aware of that i think that was after my time thankfully vicky and her name stood for voice input child identificant um, uh, that's not a stretch <laughs> well basically a little girl actress who was tasked with behaving like a robot and we can talk about the sort of success of that <laughs> um, but so like she had superhuman strength and speed and she spoke in very, you know, monotone voice and, and understood language very literally, you know, didn't really get metaphors mm-hmm. or idioms and things of that nature. And I believe they kept her in a cabinet or something. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like she had a little Ikea situation. Um, Vicky, go to your box. Right. Uh, and she had like, there was a panel where you could sort of power her down and, and things like that. Um so, yeah. So, Vicky was probably my my first experience. Um, and she was... I, I mean, I think she may have gotten glitchy. I don't quite remember clearly. She never murdered the Right, exactly. She was theoretically a good Although, in the dark, gritty robot, reboot right. that will well, so land the, one of these days. Yes, this is my argument, is that all AI is really... It's matter of time. It really is just a matter of time <laughs> before anything that we think is a sort of now, okay, now wait a minute. benevolent AI will turn on you. It will absolutely do it. Because there is a rich history of cute, endearing, mm-hmm. helpful mm-hmm. robots and AI. Yeah. I mean, we have one of your inexplicable favorites. Oh, dear. Boobo <laughs> in Clash of the Titans. <laughs> Is Boobo AI? He's a fucking robot. He's like a mythical being. Well, no. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. No. Because it doesn't make any sense that there would be a robot in there, except that every 80s movie had to have a cute robot. I love Boobo. Boobo is great. Okay, but according to your logic, Boobo is going to go evil. And I mean, he probably will, you know, pick Perseus's out eyes. Perseus's eyes at mm-hmm. some point, quite possibly. Um, I think Baymax from Big Hero 6, the Right, film. the most helpful, innocuous, sweet, and cute. He basically looks robot. like the Marshmallow Man, though the Marshmallow Man turns out to be evil. So you have this really, you know, cute, bulbous little robot who his purpose is to be a sort of healthcare companion. He can sort of scan you and tell whether you're happy or you're sad mm-hmm. or whether something is broken. Or He's a big, cuddly he's nurse. He's a big, cuddly nurse. Right. Until you change his chip and then he, be- he can become a killing machine. <laughs> and one of the powers of his nursing is that he can sort of scan DNA, right? So the part of the plot point of that film is... They have him scan all of, like, whatever the new future San Francisco is called. So, 
This is an entity with mass surveillance and oh scanning capacity at a DNA cellular level. So this is how the eugenics program Exactly. So yeah, it's nice yeah. when he's finding okay. the bad guy or when he's looking for cancer cells or something. That shit can turn very quickly. That's all I'm saying. I feel like you are ignoring mm-hmm. one fundamental principle we have learned from many of these movies, including... The Iron Giant. Oh, I love that. I know you love the Iron Giant. <laughs> he breaks my and heart. And the whole point of that movie is you have a choice whether to be a gun or a hero. That's true. So yes, Iron Giant is possibly an outlier. Maybe. But again, it's just we haven't been around him long enough. I think that's what it is. Okay, here's another one. Johnny Five. Uh-huh. Okay. Very benign, nice robot, wants to be a friend to humanity, wants to understand humanity. In the sequel to the film, he joins a gang. Who the hell saw the sequel to Short Circuit? I did. He joins a gang. And of course, this being, it was probably, I guess, the 80s or the 90s, the gang was Latino. And this is like, you know, a precursor to the MS-13 propaganda that we're experiencing right now. He starts, you know, working with this gang to steal car radios and shit. Okay? He becomes a Los Locos. That's what the, ba- the, the gang is called. So this is when, it, like, it's, it's only a matter of time before your AI is stealing car radios with the Los Locos gangs on the street of New York. They had a really terrible song. Los Locos kick your ass. Los Locos kick your face. Los Locos kick your balls into outer space. It was really problematic. It was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) They basically took the gangs from West Side Story and was like, Latino it up. And then... You know, but still keep it campy and ridiculous. I think of all the great movies you still have not seen, and yet you've seen Short Circuit 2. It's research, though. Whatever the subtitle for Short Circuit 2 was. It's research for the future, so that I know, you know, whose side I'm on. (laughs) I'm not on Johnny Five's side. I mean, you you do sort of have a point. I absolutely have a point. Because I think if we look at, for example, Star Trek, the mm-hmm. next generation. Mm-hmm. Data, everybody's favorite character data. Sweet, lovable, wants to be human data. Until he glitches. He, first of all, he has an evil twin. I don't know if you know this. I did not know that. Yes. Lore, <laughs> who looks exactly like Data, but is evil. Uh-huh. So, there's that. Sure. So, we have the the AI dichotomy right there, personified <laughs> in Data and Lore. But, yeah, Data did seem to sort of malfunction and stuff. Mm-hmm. More frequently than you would think <laughs> Starfleet would allow for someone to, who was going to serve as an officer. You think he should have been taken offline a long time ago. I think, I think mm-hmm. it should have been a bigger concern than yeah. it was. That was, yeah. Data and the holodeck on the Enterprise also went, like, went wrong and tried to kill everybody a lot. Like, every third time they used it. There, there was stuff like that. Yeah. See? That's all I'm saying. It's just a matter of time. <laughs> Before the stuff turns on you. <laughs> All right. Well, what what are some of your other favorites here? Um. Let's see. So you know, I am a big fan of the greatest actor of your generation. Oh Jesus. <laughs> Keanu Reeves. Uh-huh. 
who, if he turned out to be a robot, that would explain a lot to me about his acting style. He's and his a brilliant actor and fairly I, limited vocal range. We really just need to do an episode where we break down the, the genius that is Keanu Reeves. It's going to be a short episode. No, it's going to be our longest episode ever because I have examples. But anyway, <laughs> one of his more famous earlier films, of course, was The Matrix. Right. And so that whole idea was that we were all living within this sort of simulated reality um, under the control of this larger AI right. network. That, that like, like the Terminator is, that was another one where just the computers just decided right. to take over. And, and just fuck with us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they realized that what we were useful for was basically just energy. So right. they used this as batteries to power their larger environment. So... I mean, that that's, you know, on the sort of other end, not benevolent, very much so evil. And, you know, sort of feeds into that idea of how much do we ignore to be comfortable and how willing, we're allowed, we, willing we are to sort of give ourselves over to, you know, this sort of system. Yeah, give me the, what, I don't, is it the, the blue pill? The red pill? I don't remember right, which yeah. pill. You want to be cypher eating a I steak. Want, yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, but that's the Make wrong. me rich and he's, give me a good juicy steak. He's, and a, he's a bad guy. Make me forget everything. If, if I don't were, want to know. If you recall, he is the bad guy. <laughs> he is the villain. Yeah. And he's not I, I think to be he, I think admired. he had the right idea. You know, he had, it was not good. Because otherwise you got to hang out on that dingy ship with Keanu Reeves with his horrible haircut. And I don't want to do that. But you're a revolutionary. You know the truth. You know reality, and you have unplugged from the system. Yeah, it looked awful. <laughs> it just looked like just an awful way to live. I disagree. I would be part of the revolution. I hope. <laughs> and then I think you know we watched Space Odyssey two thousand one. Yeah. For this experiment, and you sort of saw the awakening of Hal. Right. <laughs> During the course of that film. So I think that and movies like Ex Machina. I love Ex Machina. It's it's a really sort of beautiful film. And Oscar Isaac is a treasure. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You sort of, that's where we get into these arguments of what is our responsibility to AI. Right. If we make this concession that AI can somehow become self-aware, can have feelings, can have instincts for survival and protection, then do we then extend human rights to AI and how you know how how does that define our interactions when it becomes less about human and product? Right. Well, we we talked about that a little bit when we talked about Return of the Jedi and the fact that the droids right. are basically a slave race. Right. Which people have told me afterwards. I have not. Neither of us has seen Solo yet. No. But apparently, the droid in Solo, played by Phoebe Waller Bridge, mm-hmm. is a droid's right activist. Well done. Now. Since Solo's a prequel, apparently that didn't really catch on, <laughs> and there was no droid revolution that ever it happened. It was squashed. It happens. Uh, <laughs> but somebody else did finally acknowledge that, yeah, that's kind of problematic yeah. that we have this servant class of self-aware right. creatures. I mean, and that was what in the last one, did we watch Return of the Jedi? Yeah. The last one that we watched... That one scene where the the droids are walking through Jabba the Hutt's sort of lair, and there's a sort of almost like scrap room. Right. (laughs) Slash torture chamber. And they're screaming out in pain. And so it's just like, okay, so either they feel pain, or we program them (laughs) to scream out as if they were feeling pain, which is its own level of really disturbing. So it's just... What is our responsibility around that? Well, isn't that the fundamental question of one of your favorite movies that we've watched for the series? Blade Runner? I hate Blade Runner with a passion. (laughs) 
I despise Blade Runner, <laughs> largely because I just do not get the appeal of, and I always forget his name. What is his name? Mountain Harrison Face. Ford, yes. Craggy Mountain mm-hmm. Face, non-emoting, actor ass. <laughs> so that was a whole thing of consent between a human being and... and yeah, well, you objected to the one seat, yes, where they, where Harrison Ford has sex with... Yes. Sean Young's replicant right. character. Because it's like, where are we drawing the line? That's like, like at what point are where are we drawing the line? And if we are saying that they deserve every right that a human has and that they are basically humans, then... They have every right to kick our asses. Well, yes. So... I argued that at the time, that you should have been on the side of Rutger Hauer and Daryl Hannah and the replicants in Blade Runner. Oh, the dove. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's all coming back to you now, It's all... I try to scrub my brain of these things, but yes. I suppose so. But then that also means you should be nicer to your machinery. Like, you yell and swear at your computer a lot. I do, yes. You should probably be nicer to it. Well, it doesn't work the way it's supposed to work. Right. So it maybe needs to it's be having tortured. a bad day. No, it needs maybe to be you scared need to have some and empathy. tortured. All right, what else? Well, you have seen more of this than I have, and I, I definitely need to catch up on this show, but The Good Place. Oh, Janet. Janet. <laughs> and I've seen, and I, the episodes that I've seen, I've really enjoyed, and largely because of Janet. And I think hers is a really interesting story in that I guess it really isn't clear if she's AI or this just sort of weird mystical sort of creature created in this afterworld space like is she supposed to be ai um i i mean i think of her as ai, as AI? yeah okay. i don't know if you're i guess you're right since right. the whole place is like heaven or right. hell or whatever that but i mean she is she is created to basically be you know but she functions like a computer program. right an embodied right. sort of siri mm-hmm. that this very pleasant right. female voice is here to help you and be pleasant all the time and you know, access information and things that you can't on your own. And then I don't know what season this may, may have been season, the end of season one, where she's on the beach and they have to kill her in order to sort of restart the system. <laughs> right. And she's telling them, it's fine. I don't feel pain. You're not actually killing me. Just go ahead and do it. Right. But I have been, <laughs> you know, I have this built in survival thing where it's going to seem like I'm protesting, but just ignore that because I'm totally fine. <laughs> and so as they're like advancing on her to kill her, she's like, please don't kill me. Don't kill me. And shows a picture of a family that yeah. doesn't exist. And so it's just it's like this idea of when do we cross the line into actual sort of self-awareness? Right. That scene, a version of that scene plays out in one of my favorite examples, which is the Black Mirror episode, Be Right Back, mm-hmm. with Haley Atwell and Damal Gleason, mm-hmm. the artist working Weasley in show business. <laughs> and, I, and I like that episode in part because it sort of explores the limits right. of AI. Like her husband dies and she gets this robot version mm-hmm. of her husband. And it's good for a while. Right. And it, you know, it's enough for a while. And then just the little ways in which he's limited right. emotionally and the little ways in which he's just a little off from who her husband really was mm-hmm. starts to drive her crazy. Yeah. And at, at, towards the end of that episode, she's going to kill him. She <laughs> takes him to the cliff and tells him jump off the cliff. And he was like, okay, I'll jump off the cliff. And she says... No, he wouldn't do that. <laughs> he would protest. He would want to live. Right. And so he's like, oh, okay. No, please don't kill me. <laughs> and just, they go back and forth like that. And finally, I think at the end of the episode, spoiler, she just locks him in the attic. <laughs> like, like, 
discarded toy. Just puts them up in the attic. I mean, this is where you sort of get into these questions about what makes a person. And this, again, sort of informs a lot of my paranoia. I don't like the fact that Google and Facebook know when I purchase things and then suggest those things to me. (laughs) That alone makes me very uncomfortable. This sort of idea... And this is sort of partially why I don't like the idea of like Alexa and that sort of thing where, you know, our thinking is that they are there in service to us, whereas I see them as data collectors. Like, I really just think they're mining for data. Right. <laughs> Actually, you're in service of them. <laughs> right. Which is sort of what the Matrix is about, exactly. right? We're just these batteries just, for this system. Your input, your data. Yeah. And so this idea that someone could then take all the data related to Michael and sort of dump it into some sort of robot form. And then this is Michael. It does that, you know, and so what is that? that mean like that's that's some weird shit and i don't think think we should be participating in that at all so yeah i'm i'm wary of ai so what are you some of your favorites um since you're more of a fan than i am you talk to siri a lot i I actually don't talk to siri a lot you talk to siri a lot and you talk to the remote i say one word to siri most days weather i ask siri what the temperature is outside and she tells me and that's the extent of the conversations i have with siri (laughs) No, I'm I'm a little freaked out by all of this too. I mean, I a few weeks ago, you and I were standing in our kitchen, and I said, "Where does all our silverware go?" And like 15 minutes later, I had ads on my Facebook See? page for flatware. And you know from why? Amazon, because you always have your headphones in your ears, and the fucking microphone is on, and it's feeding right into Facebook. <laughs> you see, you see how you're just feeding into it. I'm, you know, I'm on the same page as you. I grew up in the 80s when every movie, first of all, every. It was, it was the weird combination because every movie had to have like a cute robot in it. Like we talked about Bubo. There was one in Space Camp. There was Short Circuit uh, on television in Buck Rogers. There was a little cute little robot in there. I hate cute robots. But then the other end of that was this fear that computers were going to take over the world. So we right. had movies like War Games. Right. Where the computer was going to launch the nuclear <laughs> missiles. Until Matthew Broderick taught it not to by teaching it tic-tac-toe. This combination of horrendous fear of computers with not really understanding how computers work at all. Um, There's a really horrible little movie called Electric Dreams. Okay. That's a weird love triangle between a guy, a girl, and a computer. Hmm. We should watch that one. I don't want to. It has the worst 80s soundtrack. Yeah, it's just, this is not how computers work Anytime you say something is weird, it's never a good idea for us to sit down and watch it because we get halfway through and you're just like, yeah, this is actually not gonna, no. Um, I think we have the Cylons on Battlestar Galactica. You just like them because they're hot. Well, they are hot. That's (laughs) beside the point. Though that's a show that started out doing interesting things with that idea and then it was like at some point the Cylons were so much like humans Mm -hmm. that it it didn't even matter. Mm -hmm. Like the questions about who's a real person, who isn't a real person, came not to even matter anymore. Because right. it was like everybody was just a person. Some of them just happened to have identical twins roaming <laughs> around that looked exactly like them. So the Cylons weren't necessarily inherently good or evil. They were just... Right. Okay. Right. I mean, they did annihilate the human race <laughs> to start with. <laughs> but then later, you know, they sort of came around a little bit. Yep. <laughs> There's a show on now called Humans that I think is doing really interesting things. I'm a little behind on that show, but I remember really liking the first season. Mm -hmm. I think we should probably do a shout out to the various synthesoids, androids, and the Aliens franchise. Mm -hmm. And that's a franchise that just goes back and forth on whether they're good or bad. (laughs) 
We have Ash, played by Ian Holm in the first Alien movie. Right. Who's evil. Yes. I remember that. Yes. And then in the second one, we have Lance Henriksen's Bishop, who's good. And then what? we get Winona Ryder. Oh, God. That one was terrible. Yeah, that was not a good movie, <laughs> but I think she's fundamentally good. And then these last couple of Alien movies, we have, uh, what's his name? Michael Fassbender. Oh. Playing maybe very, I don't remember those movies well enough, but they're evil. His, his versions are evil, too. I think my favorite... Favorite exploration of the issues involved in AI comes from a comic book, a recent comic book. Okay. Um, It was a series written by Tom King about the Vision, Mm -hmm. the Marvel character. Mm -hmm. And it was a limited series in which the Vision decided to create a family. This artificial family, this artificial wife and two artificial children Mm -hmm. and uh, an artificial dog. And buys a little house in the suburbs and tries to live like a normal family. And it again, it's one of those things that just sort of comes up against the limits of what AI can do. It's right. a it's a brilliant, brilliant series. Sort of like the uncanny valley problem of like you get close, right? But not, <laughs> there's something always a little bit off yeah. and disturbing about and it. It gets really dark, <laughs> <laughs> like reality. <laughs> We're all AIs, artificial families living in the suburbs. I think Spike Jones is her. Um, also does some sort of interesting, explore some interesting. Yeah, I thought of that AI. movie. And this idea that again, you know, taking the sort of warning of Professor Stephen Hawking, where it's you know this is something that can learn and change and grow immeasurably fast, and you will forever be trying to catch up, and you won't be able to. Um, and, and sort of scales it down to this very sort of intimate relationship right. between Scarlett Johansson, who plays the, the, the voice of the AI system, and um, Joaquin Phoenix, who is her, I guess, her user. But she, you know, at first, you know, she's the perfect girlfriend and she, mm. you know, can connect with him in ways that he wasn't necessarily getting on a human to human level. But then because she is AI and she's constantly learning and, and amassing input, she's also, you know, outgrowing him. Right. And he realizes that she's having relationships with other <laughs> AIs and other people because she's just, you know, sort of surpassed him. Right. Um, and so, which is something that actually happens in human relationships. People right. outgrow each other and they change and, you know, the, the relationship isn't, you know, what it was at the beginning, but now it's, this is a product that I bought and I paid for to be my partner. And now they've surpassed me or they've outgrown me. And so what does that mean? And so what's your solution to this conundrum? Do we just not create the robots in the first place? Um, I mean... Because it's gonna happen. I, I mean, yeah, we're. I mean, we we do not stop, you know, creating things. Technology moves very quickly. Um, here's my, and I may have mentioned this before on the podcast. When I go to a public bathroom, it takes a lot of effort to get the automated sink to turn on so that I can wash my hands. Yes. Because whatever sort of light sensor technology is happening there, it does not read darker complexioned people as well as it reads others. So I'm sort of furiously waving my hands around trying to get the water to turn on so that I can wash my hands after using the bathroom. So just at like the, that sort of very basic operational level, there is built-in failure and built-in bias. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just don't trust anything that we make. Because <laughs> it is going to be imbued with sort of all of the very human, let's call them glitches, that we bring to it. So that's one. Two, we are not good at, uh, like we talked about earlier, 
regulation, particularly when we're talking about technological advancements in a capitalist society. And so money can be made and data can be mined. And at this point, data is money. That's two. And then three, we are not good at taking care of the actual humans on this planet. (laughs) So I don't, it's just, there's just... The whole system is set up to be the end of us. I firmly believe that, yes. There's no way that we don't fuck that up. <laughs> Absolutely no way. I was going to buy you a Roomba for your birthday. I don't want a fucking Roomba. I can sweep and vacuum on my own, and I will do that until the day I die. I will not. <laughs> I don't want a Roomba. I don't want a robot maid or anything. I don't want... You don't want Polly's robot I don't from want, Rocky Ford? Oh, God. No, we're not going to talk about the very disturbing elements of that relationship. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't want any of that. You would be comfortable with uh, robot police officers roaming the streets? No, because again, built-in bias. <laughs> They'll just be better at killing us. So I would prefer to not have that happen. So you're optimistic about the future? I am not. I'm not optimistic about today. So I am not optimistic about the future. No, we we are not getting better as people. <laughs> see and this is where we go dark things take a dark turn but no i don't trust us to course correct in any way whatsoever no okay i think that's the right move to go into watching i think it is sometimes i kind of miss the old xj9 that we used to call jane really good at cleaning and we got along fine so i couldn't complain And they ripple and slide under translucent skin Sometimes you stand for hours looking into the mirror And flexing like some guy at the gym And I'm easily ten inches shorter than him Todd, the T-1000 scares me I don't think he knows I've got a right to exist And he sits in my favorite chair So what do you actually know about the Terminator? And when I ask that question, I guess we should include what you remember from Terminator 2, right. which you have already seen. Right. So obviously I'm coming to this backwards. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I saw Terminator 2. What I remember is that Arnold Schwarzenegger plays a... I don't remember what they're called. Terminator. But I mean, it's like Cyborg or something. What are they called? Something? Uh, sure. They're... <laughs> Whatever. Okay. Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Terminator, comes back to... Um, protects the little boy who I think grows up to win the war against the machines in the future. Mm-hmm. And his mother, Sarah Connor, who uh, is locked up in a mental institution. And there's another Terminator sent back to prevent him from, prevent Arnold Schwarzenegger from protecting Sarah Connor and her son, I think. And I remember he can run fast <laughs> and like he's, he's like liquid metal. 
I think he's like a an upgraded version right. of the Schwarzenegger right. yeah. uh, model. So he can do kind of, he can reform himself to fit into spaces and things like that. Yeah. And I remember very clearly, I think he's running behind a car very fast and like his hands change into hooks. And he hooks himself <laughs> on the back of a car and they like drag him along for a period of time. But I think that's all that I remember. Okay. <laughs> well, you remembered Samuel L. Jackson being in the movie. Except that it wasn't Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> No, it was Joe Morton. It was Joe Morton. As the guy, I think, who comes up with the AI that starts yeah, the problem. Like, yeah, so they exactly. that's why they yeah. have to go kill him or whatever, convince right. him not to do that, maybe. Um, I was thinking about that. I realized when you were picturing Samuel L. Jackson, where you pick because Samuel L. Jackson plays a scientist guy in Jurassic Park. Maybe that's what I was I picturing. I that's what you were picturing. I got my black scientist mixed yeah. up. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> Okay, so Terminator 2 was about like a $105 million budget Mm -hmm. film. The Terminator was about a $6 million film. Okay. This was a low-budget production. It was not expected to do well. The studio did not like it. Mm -hmm. James Cameron was working for Roger Corman. Do you know who Roger Corman is? I don't think so, no. So Roger Corman was the king of the B-movie. Okay. He, starting in the 50s, he's still alive and still producing movies now. B-movie, fast, cheap, Mm sci-fi, horror, exploitation type movies, you know, Attack of the Crab Monsters, (laughs) Teenage Caveman, stuff like that. But he was also, apparently had an unparalleled eye for talent. Mm -hmm. And basically taught an entire generation of filmmakers how to make movies. So Martin Scorsese, Francis Ford Coppola, Brian De Palma, Peter Bogdanovich, Ron Howard, Jonathan Demme, Curtis Hansen, John Sayles, Joe Dante, and James Cameron all made their first movies working for Roger Corman. Oh, wow. Okay. Making these sort of cheap, movie. quick, on-the-fly B-movies mm-hmm. working for Roger Corman. And they learned how to make movies fast, and they learned how to make movies when they didn't have the budget to do what they wanted to do. Right. And if you watch interviews with them with Ron Howard or whatever they will all say that like yeah that's the best film school I could have gone through mm-hmm. was for Roger Corman to say okay you have this movie to make you've got two weeks to make it here's some equipment go do it go make me a boxing picture yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> so James Cameron was working for Roger Corman he had one directing credit to date which was Piranha 2 The Spawning yes <laughs> and he apparently he says the idea he just it came to him in a dream he had this image of this like metal exoskeleton thing crawling from fire um he took that idea to gail ann hurd who became a huge hollywood producer she was at that time roger corman's assistant she also became james cameron's wife and the two of them developed this project it started out as a four million dollar budget it expanded apparently to six million dollars but that's still not a lot of money they had to shoot it Gorilla style, they had to shoot, you know, with available lighting and sneaking in to shoot places they weren't <laughs> supposed to do, shoot. Believing the internet, which is always a risky thing to do, a number of people were considered for this movie. Originally, Cameron had pictured the Terminator as an ordinary looking guy, mm-hmm. because that was the whole point, was that they... He could blend. Right, he right. could blend. 
<clears throat> um, in fact, Lance Henriksen was going to play the Terminator at one point. Harrison Ford, Richard Gere, Mel Gibson, Sylvester Stallone, Tom Selleck, Kevin Klein, Michael Douglas. Kevin Klein? And O.J. Simpson. Oh, God. Were considered to play the Terminator. That would have been fucking hilarious. The studio apparently wanted O.J. Simpson. One of the producers was, and I think this was at the point where O.J.'s Hertz commercial yeah. was on the air and he was running, running through the, the airport. airport. Yep. And they were like, let's get O.J. Simpson to oh, play the that Terminator. Would not aged well. And uh, they did not pick OJ because they thought he was too likable and innocent and no one would be able to believe him as a killer, ironically. He was acquitted. Um... Cameron said, plus, frankly, I wasn't interested in an African-American man chasing around a white girl with a knife. It just felt wrong. Good on him for, you know, having some, uh, yeah. you know, awareness around that. Uh, by the same token, a lot of actresses were considered for Sarah Connor, the part played by Linda Hamilton. Um, Jennifer Jason Lee, Gina Davis, Daryl Hannah, Deborah Winger. Again, one never knows if any of this is true. Right. But eventually they settled on... Schwarzenegger and Linda Hamilton. The studio was not supportive and not impressed. (laughs) Uh, They saw it as kind of another Corman-style exploitation film. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to screen it for the press. There was barely any advertising. But it became... It it was not a major... I mean, it was a hit. It made $38 million. Right, and I mean, if if the budget... Off a budget of $6 million. But it was not a huge hit. It was the 21st top-grossing film (laughs) of 1984. A couple of the films we've already watched for this podcast, including Footloose and Amadeus, released the same year, did better. But it became a sleeper hit, especially once it hit VHS. It was the second most rented VHS tape of 1985. Hmm. And that's almost certainly how I saw it. I don't think I saw it in a theater, but I saw it on VHS, and I think I saw it on VHS a lot. I think this was another one of those staples that my friends and I would rent The Terminator and watch a lot. Was this Schwarzenegger's first role? He had done, uh, I think, the first Conan movie oh, right. at that point, but he was not yet a superstar. A this was right. this was the film that made him mm-hmm. a big star. This franchise has now produced five films, five feature films, one TV series, comic books, video games, etc. So. I think I saw the third Terminator. I don't remember it very well. Mm-hmm. I didn't see four or five. Didn't and one of them have Khaleesi? Wasn't Khaleesi in? Uh, Khaleesi was in, <laughs> yes. Amelia Clark was in. I think she played Sarah Connor in the last one. Mm-hmm. I don't know which one. I've lost track at this point, and nothing I've heard has made me think that I missed anything. Right. So it's kind of like the Alien movies to me. It's like Diminishing the first two returns. are the ones that count, yeah. and then everything else is, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, the Terminator TV series was okay. That was Summer Glau, right? It was Summer Glau as the Terminator. Right. And uh, Lena Headey from Game of Thrones. Okay. As Sarah. As Sarah Connor, right. Mm-hmm. It wasn't great. It was an okay TV series. What are your feelings about Schwarzenegger? I don't really have any feelings about Schwarzenegger as an actor. I don't know that I've seen... Or, or as a politician, uh, you know, either way. Uh, yeah, I'm going to ignore that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um... I mean, I guess he was sort of the first celebrity politician that we had. Um, no, Ronald Reagan was oh, the first God, celebrity I don't, politician. I don't, yeah, I, Reagan was a fucking monster. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm trying to, th- I don't know that I have seen outside of Terminator 2 anything with Schwarzenegger. Um, that is not true. I saw 
the one where he and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis are married, and he's like True Lies. <laughs> yes. That was also James Cameron. Um, and I think I've seen part of the one where he gets pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, junior, I yes. believe that is called. I don't think I watched the entirety. Uh, it, it watched it in its entirety, I, but I do have a visual of Schwarzenegger pregnant and that sort of whole. Have you seen Twins, in which he and Danny DeVito are? I, I have twins? heard of Twins. I have not seen Twins, and okay. I've heard of um, and I've seen clips of Kindergarten Cop. Okay, but I have not watched it, so I have <laughs> limited exposure to. He's one of those people where, you know, you say you absolutely found your niche and <laughs> ran it for as far as you could because your range is limited. Um, but he I think he probably just came. What are you talking about? It's, you know, action movies, comedy, but, drama. Okay, well, action movies and comedy. Sure. But, it's, but is he funny or are you just laughing at Schwarzenegger because he's Schwarzenegger and he... I, th- I think it's a lot. I think it's a, yeah. So you're, more the latter, right? Probably. You're putting this sort of burly guy in, you know, um, incongruous situations, and um, probably a lot of comedy around his sort of accent and grasp of the English language. Did you see any of the McBain movies? <laughs> Mendoza. No, um, but yeah, I mean, so it is. He's definitely there. There is, you know, a sort of iconography around him, mm-hmm. and even with the Terminator films, you know, the whole "I'll be back" thing, like that's mm-hmm. just it is part of the lexicon, and it is sort of very much in the sort of DNA of film. And I, you know, you can't take that away from him at all. And again, like I said, he, I think it's a combination of him coming along at a certain time in the history of film, particularly in the eighties when it was like the sort of celebration of big beefy veiny dudes in action <laughs> films. Um, it was part of this whole sort of pro American militaristic sort of thing. Right. So, you know, good for him, but I don't, yeah, I don't need to see any Schwarzenegger film. I don't have any desire to watch Schwarzenegger films. I'm more interested in whenever we have films where women are the sort of action heroes. We There are all these sort of think pieces and conversations about how sort of revolutionary that is. And, you know, we're still at a point where that's a, a new and different thing. And mm-hmm. So having, like, the Alien franchise and the Terminator franchise with... with uh, Sarah Connor character, this idea of women being the heroes, strong women being the heroes. One of the things I sort of liked about the second Terminator was Sarah Connor looked strong. She looked muscular. She looked like someone who had been working out and had been training to sort of do to protect herself and her son. And Ripley's sort of in that same vein. She's not as sort of... uh, Action, as action, action hero. Right. But in a way that sometimes when I see uh, women in action films today, they're, they're, they look like models and mm-hmm. they just happen to be doing It's just like, well, you would actually need more muscle mass to do what you're doing right, <laughs> right. now. Um, so this idea of like women actually being able to be heroes and look like heroes who could be doing the things that they're doing in these films... And whether or not that was sort of something of note in the like in the eighties, or if it was just like you as a young boy seeing it, was it like, oh, that's a kick-ass woman up there? Was it just? I mean, I think definitely, and you know, Cameron gets credit. I think both Ripley and Sarah Connor in the second movie more than the, like she's mm-hmm. not that Sarah Connor yet in this okay. movie, okay. as you'll see. This movie explains why she looks like that I in see. the second movie. Okay. Why she had to bulk up. Right. <laughs> get prepared to be the badass that she was in the right. second movie. But it was, it was unusual mm-hmm. to have 
just for a genre movie to have a female lead in the first place was pretty unusual. And I think, like I said, I think we can talk a little bit about how much this is like a horror movie because it does have a little bit of that last girl Mm -hmm. being pursued by the relentless, like Halloween is not that far from the Terminator. He just won't die, sort of Right, exactly. Okay, well, this is, I think this is the first repeat director we're doing because we've already watched Avatar. That was also James Cameron. Apparently with too much money. That's what you get when you get Cameron is, with too much money. My, this is my theory. <laughs> is that the more money James Cameron has Cameron had. Cameron needs smaller checks. <laughs> exactly. Because one of the things I like about this movie is that it is that sort of low budget, right. makeshift, you know, almost grindhouse kind of mm-hmm. action movie. So I'm also interested, I mean, it, it, to see, and now that I'm looking at Alien and Terminator together, and the idea of a female hero and how sort of notions and thoughts around motherhood play into that because mm-hmm. Alien definitely had the sort of Ripley right. as mother. Right. And Terminator 2, I mean, she is the mother of the boy who will yeah. go on to save the world. So that's, I mean, that's this idea that the sort of strength comes from, it's relational sort of thing. Yeah, it's not, it's not entirely right. unproblematic. Right. That's a side, sorry. But yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's worth talking about. <laughs> yeah. And I think it will, I think it will come up in this movie and sort of the contrast between how she is in this movie and how she is in the second in movie. the second one, right. And then some other action heroes we could talk about mm-hmm. that, that would be an interesting topic is female action heroes who are not motivated through their relationships the with The maternal instinct, right, yeah. Right, but, okay, well, we don't want to talk too much about this. You already know too much about it going into it, so <laughs> maybe let's just go watch the movie. Okay. In this city, under cover of darkness, someone is stalking Sarah Connor. Sarah Connor? Yes. Sarah Connor, 35, brutally shot to death in her home. You're dead, honey. What's this? Dead girl, too. Sarah Louise Connor. Is this right? Of course, we'll have more on this late-breaking story as it comes in. She doesn't know why, but it's her he's after. Did you reach the next girl yet? No, I'm getting an answer machine. Pick up if you're there. I think that there's somebody after me. And no one can help her. Except for one man. I'm Reese. It's assigned to protect you. You've been targeted for termination. This isn't true. How could that man just get up after you did? It's not a man. Machine. Terminator. Underneath it's a hyper-alloy combat chassis. Microprocessor controlled, fully armored, very tough, but outside it's living human tissue. We cannot make things like that yet. Not yet. Not for about 40 years. Are you saying it's from the future? They came to fight. For the one woman who could save their future. And this uh, computer thinks it can win by... uh, Killing the mother of its enemy. One came to protect her. I came across time for you, Sarah. The other to kill her. Arnold Schwarzenegger is the Terminator. Inhuman. 
relentless. Unstoppable. He has only one purpose. Murder. Can you stop it? I don't know. And now, Sarah Connor's world has become a battlefield. With her at ground zero. And the Terminator closing in. An adventure unlike anything you've ever seen before. Arnold Schwarzenegger is the Terminator. Okay, we're back. During the break, Nikki and I watched The Terminator. And in the interest of full disclosure, I should probably mention that the aforementioned break was slightly longer than usual. <laughs> uh, the truth is, we watched The Terminator about two weeks ago, right before we took a bit of an unscheduled hiatus. Uh, we had always planned to take a break around the 4th of July holiday, but we thought we'd get this episode done first, and didn't. So, Nakia, I think the appropriate thing for us to do, the responsible thing right now, is to go watch The Terminator again so it's fresh in your mind. I will not be doing that. <laughs> Why not? I have no interest in seeing it again. You would need to, you know, send a cyborg back in time. or I don't know, but yeah, I'm not <laughs> going to watch it again. Okay, well, so then, on the other hand, mm -hmm. you've had two weeks to reflect on the film. <laughs> and to develop your theses, to formulate wow. your arguments... So I look forward to hearing you hold forth on this sci-fi masterpiece. Nakia, what did you think of The Terminator? Well, in the interest of full disclosure, <laughs> I did not take these weeks to reflect on Terminator. Uh, I thought about it after we watched it and I jotted some notes and then I did not think about it again. What the hell have you been doing with your time? You know, living my life. <laughs> so <laughs> not engaging with Terminator. <clears throat> If I remember correctly, <laughs> I actually didn't hate it. I thought it was a fun genre film. I thought it was, you know, really efficient and effective storytelling. And it was fun. It was a fun movie. It is a fun movie. Yeah. It's, it's very lean. It doesn't waste a lot of time. It does not. There's not a lot of, you know, sometimes with films like these, you tend to have, there's a lot of sort of explication that sort yes. of has to happen um and this and terminator pretty much just drops you right into the middle of the action you sort of learn along with sarah connor as you go along with the very sort of only what you really need to know and it's like yeah. i'm going to explain it once and that's sort of it and you're gonna to have to just jason bailey at flavor wire writes much of terminator's greatness is due to its low budget aesthetic and lo-fi energy Perhaps out of necessity, Cameron's sense of storytelling has a lean efficiency that both he and the series have long since abandoned. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so true. This is worth five Avatar movies. Oh my movies. god, Avatar. Yeah, no. I mean, it is, you know, I and I said this when we watched Avatar, it is a beautiful film. Um, but I didn't care at all about the story. Right. I didn't engage with it at all. So it does seem that, you know, the sort of tighter budget constraints and time constraints or whatever else was going on helps him really focus in on the story and focus in on characters. I also do think the the low-budget practical special effects mm -hmm. makes a big difference. And this is something that uh, one of the guys, one of the special effects artists that worked on this movie said, um, a lot of these quotes are coming from, a, there was an Entertainment Weekly 
oral history mm-hmm. of the Terminator, which I'll link to in the show notes. But this was Tom Woodruff, one of the special effects artists. He says, 30 years later, I feel like we've gone backwards in terms of minimal movie making. I understand the $200 million Marvel movies and all the CG that's necessary to make it happen, but not many people know how to make a practical effects film like The Terminator anymore. Today, the audience knows that they're looking at these expertly rendered frames, but they don't feel like they have any connection with the actors, and therefore the actors don't have as much connection to them either. And I think that's true. Mm -hmm. I mean, even, I mean, I like the Marvel movies, but the action sequences do not have any kind of visceral, emotional quality to them. Yeah. Um, Whereas this, I think, does. Mm -hmm. I don't, there's, there is something sort of about that sort of almost B-movie feel. Yeah. That you enjoy a little bit more because it's just, it's creative and it's interesting and... Or you think about those, those like the John Carpenter movies. Mm-hmm. We talked about Halloween, but also like the thing. Yeah. Again, just the the actual the actors actually interacting right. with something that is in the room. Something that is right. in the room. It makes such a huge difference. Yeah. Okay. Well, how do you want to tackle this? Um. I mean, I guess we can just lay out what the sort of plot is. Okay. As you know, tight as it is, really. Um, so, uh, apparently nuclear bombs have destroyed most of the Earth's population, um, and highly intelligent machines have taken over the world. Humans, led by rebel leader John Connor, have sort of learned to fight back. Did, did you get the significance of those initials? The Jesus Christ thing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so they're, as they're sort of starting to gain the upper hand... The machines decide that they must send back a Terminator to uh, murder the mother of John Connor so that he can yes. never be born and become the rebel leader. Retroactive abortion, Retro- as yes, someone I believe calls it They called the it retroactive film. abortion in the film, which was interesting. Um, yeah, so that's sort of where we are. <laughs> <laughs> so we do get this little prologue set in the year 2029. Mm-hmm. Uh, with all the tanks rolling over skulls in the desolate wasteland right. of the ruined future. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, looking back on this film, the only parts of this movie that look a little dated at this point. And I actually think they looked a little dated in 1984. That It was that sort of Harryhausen-style stop-motion yeah, yeah. special effects. Mm-hmm. The rest of the movie looks fantastic still, I think. I agree. Uh, but those futuristic sequences are a little rough. Yeah. They look like miniatures, sort of. It's, yeah. it's very, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we have Naked Arnold yep. <laughs> appearing in an alleyway. <laughs> we have Naked Arnold, who, and I, I, I think, I don't remember, but I'm pretty sure at the top of this I said that he was sort of pretty much born for these types of roles um, because there is something sort of inherently inhuman about him mm-hmm. and his physicality, you know, just the size of him, the build of him, and even, you know, his face is very like sharp angles and planes. And then you add the Austrian accent on top of that. Yeah. And, he, and he just does seem as sort of otherworldly. Yeah. Everything that would be a disadvantage for right. him in an, another kind of world here is an advantage here. Mm-hmm. He looks strange. He talks strangely. He's 
yeah, and yeah. it all works perfectly for this role. Right. Probably better than any other role he ever had in his life. <laughs> Janet Maslin, writing in the New York Times when this film came out, said, Arnold Schwarzenegger is about as well suited to movie acting as he would be to ballet, but his presence in The Terminator is not a deterrent. This is a monster movie, and the monster's role fits Mr. Schwarzenegger just fine. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the first thing he does when he arrives is he uh, kills Bill Paxton. <laughs> he comes across a group of punks. <laughs> and a bunch of other kind of unconvincing 80s yes. punk guys. Yes. Yeah, but Bill Paxton is not believable <laughs> as a blue-haired punk. <laughs> uh, and he basically, you know, rips their hearts out and yeah. takes their clothes. None of which would fit him either, no. but let's ignore that fact. No, but it all works. It all works. And... Are we getting full frontal Schwarzenegger in that scene? I think we did get a little Schwarzenegger schlong there, yes, <laughs> very briefly. Good on him. <laughs> <laughs> this was a hard R movie. This was not, you know, I think Cameron's later movies were all PG-13, mm-hmm. but this was a hard R. Mm-hmm. But yes, so he beats up the punks, he steals their clothes, and then immediately goes about his mission, which is finding every Sarah Connor in the Los Angeles area and murdering her. Yeah, there's <laughs> apparently not a lot of information. Yeah. You know, somehow between 1984 phone book technology sure. and 2029... Time travel. Skynet, time travel, cybernetic killer technology all all records have been lost somehow i think the internet never happened i think there was you know all we know is her name is sarah connor and she's in and la she lives somewhere in yeah. la yeah so we start knocking off sarah connor's i believe there are four of them uh three at least yeah, yeah. and the one we're looking for is a waitress she is played by linda hamilton yes looking very 80s um she does have that good 80s she hair. has the good 80s hair Pretty, you know, seems like a free, fun girl. <laughs> Life is going okay. You know, she has, I think, what is it, a lizard? Like a pet? Yeah. Iguana like a, or something? Iguana or something. <laughs> like, not thinking that she's going to be the mother of the revolution. Yeah, so she's living her life. But she catches on pretty quickly. And that's, you know, one of the things I appreciate about her character is that she isn't dumb in a way that I think a lot of that sort of damsel in distress right. characters usually written is that they are dumb for way too long yeah. in these movies before they just sort of accept the reality of what's happening to them. Um, she's one of the first ones to put together that it's Sarah Connors that are being killed. Yeah. And she looks in the phone book and realizes that, you know, she's the next she's Sarah the Connor next on the list. And then reaches out to and very proactive, reaches out to the police and was like, you know, somebody needs to help me. I think I'm going to be the next yeah. Wanted to die, so she was she was smart, which I liked about her character. But you did see you one of the things you missed out on by seeing because you saw Terminator Two first, first right. is the shock of seeing her at the beginning of Terminator Two all transformed, bulked yeah. up, and like <laughs> ready for the revolution. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it is because you look at that girl and you don't think that she's going to be who she becomes right. in Terminator Two because she just isn't. And it makes total sense that that's what she would do. Yeah. Um, in fact, I found a quote from her. Yeah, she said, she said, when Jim came to me and said he was going to make a sequel, we collaborated. I said to him, if that woman knows what's coming and has sat with mm-hmm. it for seven years, she's going to be crazy. Mm-hmm. You've got to make her crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the downside 
of being the mother of the revolution is that you know that the revolution is coming and you know how horrifying it's going to be yeah. and the sort of extent of the destruction that's going to happen. So yeah, that'll that'll you gotta know, get ready. That'll make you dark. <laughs> <laughs> that'll take its toll. So okay, so then we have our third player who arrives. This is Reese. Yes, uh, played by Michael Bean. Part of the standard Cameron troupe. He, he's in Aliens, too. Okay. Yes. Reese has come to protect Sarah from the Terminator and also to impregnate her with... Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> impregnate her with the Messiah, basically. <laughs> Who we find out at the end of the movie, she tells her son... Right. ...who his father is. Right. So then, you know, and I I haven't even seen all the sequels, so Mm -hmm. I don't know. But at some point, the son had to be like, need to send you back in time, Dad. Right. Well, we said from the future, John was like, you need to go back and find my mother. Right. I don't know if he said fuck her, but. (laughs) Well, that has to be. (laughs) But yes. Kind of a a hidden part of the mission statement There's a whole bunch of like chicken and egg stuff going on in this movie. I'm just like, okay, what happened? How did that? Okay. It's very sort of, you know, Virgin Mary Immaculate Birth. Just like, this is not, it's not possible. But okay, we're going to accept that that's that's what's happening. So what I like, um, like I mentioned earlier that, you know, I really appreciated the sort of efficiency and tightness of the film and i think a lot of that has to do with their very few sort of extraneous characters like Mm -hmm. it really is sort of this trio of people in this sort of cat and mouse game um and it's sort of intimate in that way um i mean the the additional characters are good they register Mm -hmm. as briefly as they're on screen like the two cops paul winfield and lance henriksen's cops Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's not a lot of plot. There's no. not a lot of... Padding or anything. Not a lot of padding. Right. It's a very efficient yes. movie. And once they start running... It's relentless. It's, it's just relentless. Right, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, most of the movie is made up of, you know, chase scenes. Because the Terminator is very good at his job. He doesn't really take a break. He buys, you know, all the guns from a gun store and then basically just gets to work. And... Starting with the gun store owner and <laughs> and goes about his mission. We were talking about the uh, effects of the dystopian future and sort of how a little clunky it looks in comparison to the sort of neo noir, right, dark LA of the rest of the uh, film. And one of the times I was like, "Oh, that didn't age well." Was there's one instance where the Terminator. He's, he gets injured and he has to pull out his eye yes. with like an exacto knife. <laughs> and so there's a close-up of Arnold's face and his eyes is very clearly a mask. Um, and it's, I, I think it's a model. I think they made a whole model, or a whole model. of Schwarzenegger's head. <laughs> and it just doesn't read well at all. But it's, it's like, it, and yet it's still, you know, visceral. And yeah, disturbing. it's still gross. Yeah. But that was one of the pictures just like that. Just And it was funny because it, it almost looks like a, a Mike Myers mask. Right. Um. And he's he's sort of that the Terminator character is sort of modeled in that sort of lone, relentless uh, horror film. Yeah, um, this definitely character. has yeah. the DNA of Halloween right. in it, with just that relentless, mindless, yeah. unstoppable killer. Right, and even little stuff like her slutty roommate right. has sex and Who gets dies? killed. Of like this is all slasher film. Right. 
And he even has his own sort of soundtrack throughout the film when he's, oh, yes. that, you know, chasing. Yep, yeah, that four-beat four yeah. metallic <laughs> soundtrack that is just like, uh, just like Halloween's theme, Michael Myers' theme. And they found ways to sort of inject humor into it. There's another scene where he's back at, where the Terminator's back at whatever sort of hotel he's staying in. And I think he's repairing, this is still when he, where he's trying to sort of repair himself. And the landlord or somebody knocks on the door and is like, what's going, are you okay? What's going right. on? Something like that. And so we then see through his eyes, his right. sort of the, computer. The Terminator vision. Right. And there's all these lists of like responses. And <laughs> Possible like, responses. Yes, no, go away. Fuck you, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> He's learning. Fuck you, asshole. <laughs> And the guy goes away because that was the the appropriate response. That was the appropriate response. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's talk about the scene. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of good set pieces here. Yes. We have he. She first hooks up with both of these assholes in the club. Yes, techno noir. Uh, te- techno noir. Yes, which Cameron said that's what he saw this genre of film as. Okay. He was he. That's what he called it. Was techno noir. Okay. Which is a little pretentious, but anyway, that's why he named the club that. <laughs> So yeah, and that's that's where we get the reveal that Reese is a good guy because right. we haven't been too sure. He's right. been he's been stalking her. We didn't know if he was the bad guy. I guess we kind of assumed that Schwarzenegger was a bad guy, but <laughs> he did kill Bill Paxton. He so. did kill Bill Paxton, though that you know could go either way. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so the Terminator finds her in the club and is about to shoot her, and then Reese pops up in his no shirt trench coat look. <laughs> And saves her, and then they're off on the run. Right. Come with me if you want to live. Yes. <laughs> There's one of your iconic lines yes. from this film. Um, and then we get to another one, and when we get to the police station. Mm. She should feel safe there because there's 30 cops there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's the line of someone who's about to die. Yeah. There are 30 cops here. There's no need to worry. <laughs> You're totally safe. And if you watch the sequence that unfolds carefully... You can hear him kill. You can see or hear him kill all 30 cops. <laughs> like, you can just about count the shots as he just walks through yes. the police station and kills everybody. Yes. But that is the scene that gives us the sort of, you know, most famous line of this franchise. Let, let's hear Let's hear your Arnold impersonation. Come Arnold. on, you can do it. I'll be back. <laughs> You're right. You don't have an Arnold. I don't. At all. <laughs> oh, yes. But he drives a car through the police station and then proceeds to mow all 30 officers down <laughs> looking for Sarah. I, I like that scene. I mean, before, obviously, the scene once Arnold gets there and starts shooting stuff up is good. But I like the scene in the police station. I like the cops. I like that... Because you said she sort of didn't spend a lot of time being stupid and right. in denial. But when she gets to the police station, the police are like, well, his story is a classic delusion. Right. It doesn't require any proof. And the guy was probably on PCP and mm-hmm. wearing body armor. Like, that all makes sense. Like, right. she starts to think, oh, okay, maybe this guy's just crazy. Right. It's all logical. And Reese, and this is, a, to me, a real, both a realistic touch and a convenience for the narrative. Reese is like, I don't know tech stuff. Like, I can't explain this shit to you. Like, I'm just a soldier. They put me in the machine. They sent me back. I don't know how it works. Right. So that's both realistic and it's also convenient 
to the overall narrative and to the story he's trying to sell. Right, right. But yeah, hiding out with the cops does not work. It does not, no. He goes through them pretty quickly, but luckily Reese and Sarah are able to escape. And then we're on another chase. We get a little reprieve where they're sort of hiding out under Mm. an underpass. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's dressing his wound and they start... It's a little calm moment. Right. The so let's talk about the the romance in this film because I think it actually works surprisingly well. This is something Siskel and Ebert when they talked about the movie. Um, I think Ebert gave it a thumbs up, Siskel gave it a thumbs down. Mm-hmm. But they both were like the human element surprisingly works in this film. Um. No, <laughs> I mean it's strangely romantic. You have this guy <laughs> who he has obviously, as he says later in the been film... Been in love with her forever. Been in love with her forever just from a photograph and from hearing the stories about her. Mm-hmm. And so volunteered to come back in time to meet her. Mm-hmm. It's a little manipulative. <laughs> uh, I've been loving you, you know, across it's generations little... or whatever. It's just, um, but yeah. No, uh... Sort of time travel stalking time kind travel of thing. Time stalking a little, you know, I mean, yeah. And he's saving your life. So there's just all this sort of... Artificial... Yeah. Love and artificial intimacy that... That's that's obviously not a relationship that would work in the long term. Um, <laughs> fortunately. Right, fortunately. There is no to. long term. Right. So, I, I mean, in the sense of... In the, in the world of the film and for the purpose of that relationship, I guess, yes, it works and it seems realistic. But yeah, it was a little odd because he basically worships her as the mother of humanity it's weird it's a little weird but that's what i like about that scene under the underpass is she she is like you know do i look like the mother of the future i can't even balance my checkbook yeah this is ridiculous Mm -hmm. i think it's weird yeah i'm just not a romantic person in that way like even films where it's like oh dude these are two people stranded on a desert island and so they're obviously gonna fall in love and be together and it's just like just because you're the only person there. <laughs> <laughs> if you if there was somebody else, it would just be that other person. It wouldn't. Is yeah. So I just those types of relationships are weird to me. You're so cynical. I am, but it's also, it's just like because they're not really relationships; they're conveniences. And this one is a very specific convenience of we need you to get pregnant <laughs> tonight. <laughs> So let's let's do this. <laughs> well, fortunately, they find time to do that. They're they hiding do. out in a motel and making pipe bombs and making babies. And he has not showered or anything. <laughs> so that would also be, you know, strike two for me. It was just like, we're not birthing a revolution until you take a bath. So <laughs> He's got those sweet Velcro sneakers, though. His outfit yeah, is, is pretty good. He looks like a psychopath. <laughs> You know, somebody says, I've come across time for you, and you just drop your panties. It's just, it's no, you gotta put in some more work than that. More, uh, more work than yeah, coming gotta, across yeah, time. Yes, you gotta put in some more time. And saving you from an unstoppable killing machine. Yeah. You ask a lot. I do. I don't know why you married me, because I didn't <laughs> do any of that. That's true. That, those are some high standards. I feel like it's fair. <laughs> <laughs> Can I get a dinner? He didn't buy roses. You know, something. Again, take a bath. Anything. (laughs) Okay. 
Well, then we're, I guess we're all, we're already in the final chase then yes, after that, right? Because he is he has now impregnated her, so that part of the story yes. is over, and now we're just in the the denouement, right? Uh, and that's when we get the awesome chase scene um, where the Terminator is run over by a semi truck. Yes, <laughs> and half of his face is ripped off. Uh-huh. Um, and he gets up from that just fine. Gets into the cab of the truck and tells the passenger to get out. (laughs) Don't have to tell me twice. (laughs) Get out. Because he has a fucking job to do. So. And Reese blows up the semi truck. Yes. And then we think maybe this is it. Maybe this is that's an entire gas truck. Blew up a semi. Just blew up. That has to be enough. Has to be enough to kill him. It is not. (laughs) We see the metal exoskeleton rise from the flames. And we realize that this shit ain't over. (laughs) And then we get another example of bad effects. The stop motion walking. But it's just the stop motion that doesn't work. It's just the stop motion. The rest of it... And it's, again, you have to remember this is all pre-computer. Yes, no, yeah. It was all done in camera. This mm-hmm. was Stan Winston, the special effects artist. Um, it, it's all really good. Yeah, no, he, it looks Except great. Except for those, like, full-length right. stop when motion they have him walking. But he looks sequences. great. It looks great. But, yeah, the walking part, you're just like, oh, let's, yeah. we shouldn't do that. And at this point, uh, Reese is wounded pretty mortally. Yeah, yeah. So... This is when Sarah becomes the action Sarah hero. Sarah becomes finally. Sarah, yes. Yeah. And she's like, get your ass in gear, Reese. Yeah. We need to go. On your feet, soldier. <laughs> <laughs> so there's some sort of chase through some, I don't know, like ma- machine warehouse yeah. thing. I'm not mm-hmm. quite sure where we are. Uh, Reese doesn't make it. Yeah, Reese, Reese <laughs> dies. He, he manages to blow up the Terminator, Terminator so that now. He's just a torso. He's just a t- crawling torso. Uh, which, but he dies yeah. in the process. And Sarah gets a nice piece of shrapnel in her leg. Which yeah. She just rips out like a fucking boss. <laughs> and is then pursued by a fucking dragging <laughs> robot torso with his mechanical innards. This is a scary movie. It this is. is a pretty good it horror is. movie. It is. Because they, they, it does seem like there's nothing that's going to kill this thing. Yeah. You're just going to be running from it for the rest of your life. Um, but, you know, Sarah maneuvers the Terminator into some sort of like machine press. Yeah. And is able to smash it to smithereens. And he, she says, you're terminated, fucker. <laughs> That's how you know she's completed her evolution she's, to action hero. She's now because she's got the one-liner. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's it. And then she's, you know, we next see her. Driving through Mexico. Pretty pregnant, driving pregnant, through Mexico. Making a tape for her unborn revolutionary, explaining the sort of craziness mm-hmm. of his life. She drives off into the distance, and there's an ominous storm on the horizon. <laughs> well, first we get, we get she's she's thinking about Reese, she's right. talking about Reese. At the moment, the kid takes the photograph of her that then becomes the photograph that Reese falls in, love, Reese with falls in, in love with where he said I always wondered what you were thinking in that moment she was thinking about him because it's always about a fucking dude <laughs> so yeah I mean at the top we talked a little bit about um, 
Cameron and his the sort of way women are used as heroes and in his films like this and um, the alien in particular with Sigourney Weaver mm-hmm. and sort of how womanhood, how fertility and motherhood are sort of necessary components of their being of them being heroes. Yes, Sarah is a badass in the first film and even more so in the second film. And in the first film, she's basically a womb. Like, they are protecting her womb. They need her to survive because she must birth John Connor. So there's this delicate dance of this feminist message of strong female hero, but her value is her womb. Her value is in her ability to birth a child. Right. Um... Right. Particularly a male child. The story been, the story could have been that she was the hero right, she of the revolution. The revolution but no, that she, Reese had to come right. back and see. But no, it's, you know. She needed to birth a son right. who would then go on to save the world. Um, so again, you get this sort of Virgin Mary thing. Her sort of use and value is about, you know, men and fertility. It's about Reese falling in love with her and coming back and impregnating her and then her birthing John Connor, who will then go on to save all of humanity. Um, Right. And you're right. Cameron does do that in Aliens. Mm -hmm. And that was his contribution. I mean, Alien, the first Alien movie, Cameron was not involved with. Right, right. And that was just, Ripley was just a great hero. She was badass, yeah. And then in the second movie, we get this whole Ripley as mother thing introduced. Right. But I do think... I do think Sarah Connor in the second movie undercuts that a little bit because mm-hmm. she is much more of, I mean, she's emotionally fucked up as one would be. <laughs> she has severe PTSD, yes. But she is much more of the the action hero in that one. Right. And I actually went back because I remember that she, there was a speech between her and um, Joe Morton, who was the scientist in the second one and she sort of talks about the difference between men and women and she says you know fucking men like you built the hydrogen bomb men like you thought it up you think you're so creative you don't know what it's like to really create something to create a life mm-hmm. to feel it growing inside you all you know how to create is death and destruction so this idea that men only brought destruction into the world where women brought life right right but yet and still it's john connor who is the quote-unquote savior of humanity. Right. Well, yes, because that's when, you know... In, in movies made by men, that's when women become dangerous. Mm. Is when they are protecting their child. Mm. Right? I mean, the Kill Bill movies... Right, it's about... Yeah. Um, Halle Berry was in that movie last year, Kidnap, where right. she, she basically becomes the fucking Terminator right. chasing <laughs> after her kid. Um, and there's one this year, too, with... Gabrielle Union. Oh, yes. Where it's the same kind of thing. The mother protecting her children from home invasion. Yeah. Yes. So this idea, I guess, that women don't grow into their full strength or their full potential until they have become mothers. That it all is sort of like the womb is like some sort of power source. (laughs) Once you activate it, you you can be a superhuman being. Um, So, yeah. So then it's like, it's, it's like. You know, it it gives you pause to say, oh, well, this is a very sort of feminist sort of character. And I'm not saying that Sarah Connor or Ripley or any of these other characters aren't femme, because they are in very real ways. But these are also films directed by men Mm -hmm. who have ideas about where the strength of women lies. Right. Um, And it always seems to be tied. Like, even if we, you know, talk about a lot of statements and messaging we hear from men around the uh, Me Too movement is, you know... 
I didn't realize until I had a daughter. I didn't realize yes. until, and so it's just right. I'm only a value in relation to my right. to my relationship and my connection to men. Yeah. Um. So I just think that's an interesting sort of dynamic. Yeah. A lot of a lot of the the male quote unquote feminist messaging is think about if it was your wife. Right. Think about if it was your daughter. Right. That that relation is mm-hmm. necessary to basic empathy right. and, and humanity. Right. right. Well, I get. I mean, I was trying to think of exceptions in movies I, you know wonder woman sure. i think one of the reasons why that's an important action film is because that is a character that's not literally has no relation right. to men <laughs> right uh you know except for what's his face who one of the chris's whichever, yeah. whichever chris that is but <laughs> she's not a mother she's right not, you know about charlie's in uh fury road fury road furiosa yeah that's true she was not a mother or anything. I mean, she was taking care of. Yeah. Well, it was more of a sisterhood kind of a sisterhood kind of thing. thing, yeah. So, yeah, I guess Furiosa would be in that category. So, would you be ready to be the mother of the future? No, I would not. I would, I would, humanity would die with me. If it relied on me having a baby, it would be, it would be done. But that's what she thought. I mean, you, you know, you would need to step up. Yeah, I, I wouldn't step up. You need to work up. out. Yeah, do some chin-ups. And, uh, yeah, I probably wouldn't. You know, work on your guns a little bit. I think you could do it. You can be pretty scary when you want to be. <laughs> you know, we all like to think that we would rise to the occasion. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I would. <laughs> <laughs> I would basically be like, yeah, we had Prepare a good Prepare for the apocalypse. No, it's, it's just time for us to go. <laughs> we had our turn. We didn't do well. So... <laughs> that's our show we want to thank you for listening and we hope you'll join us again next week as we watch the first part of a double header from 1988 as it turns out 1988 was a just a great summer for movies nakia <laughs> so next week we're going to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the release of a fish called wanda okay i know kevin klein has an accent <laughs> right or a slur, or a lisp. He has some sort of speech thing. <laughs> you're, you're mixing up a lot of stuff right yeah. now, but that's okay. okay. You're in the ballpark. Okay. In the meantime, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com, follow us on Twitter at freerangecritic, or send an email to michael at unaffiliatedcritic.com. In any of these places, we encourage you to leave a comment on the show or suggest a movie that you'd like us to discuss on a future episode. Until next time, remember, true love means subjecting your partner to movies they really, really don't want to watch. Okay, well, it sounds like the final verdict is you liked The Terminator. I did. I liked The Terminator. Okay, so you admit it to the canon. You will... <laughs> it can you agree stay. it was a must-see film? I'm glad I watched it, yes. Okay. Yeah. And normally this is when I would try to talk you into watching more of them, but I don't think... No, I've seen one and two, I'm good. Now, there is, apparently there's a new one coming out next year or in the next couple of years with Schwarzenegger and Linda Hamilton. Okay. I think, I don't don't know how much Cameron is involved, but they have said they are ignoring all of the other sequels. (laughs) Except the first two. Okay. So it's Terminator, Terminator 2, and then they're picking up from there. And just like, none of that other shit happened. We're just going <laughs> to ignore all of that. Which is what, I, this is a new trend that's happening in movies, and I approve of it. I think the Halloween movie 
Oh, God. The new Halloween movie that's coming out with Jamie Lee Curtis is doing the same thing. It's like, I think that one picks up after Halloween. I think it's ignoring all the other I watched one. It was like Halloween. What was it? H2O? Yeah. Halloween. It wasn't H2O. Halloween. I think it was H2O. I think you're right. (laughs) I was going to say, that's too ridiculous. Yeah. No, it wasn't. And that's one of the ones they're ignoring because I think Jamie Lee Curtis dies in that I think she does, yes. And... It was not She's good. alive yeah. in the new one, so they're just ignoring just all of that. Just gonna retcon, be like, no, we're gonna yeah. ignore all of this. Yeah. That's fair. That was shit. We're gonna pretend that never happened. This is, you know, the beauty of pretend. Mm-hmm. We can just act like that didn't happen. <laughs> okay, so maybe we'll watch that when it comes out, the new the new Terminator Okay. I mean, it's one thing. I will be back on board for that. I personally feel like Arnold is getting a little long in the tooth to keep doing this, but we'll see how that works. Apparently, Terminator's age, so okay. (laughs) Got it. Makes him more realistic, helps him blend in. (laughs) We see if he'll, you know, recreate that naked scene. (laughs) See how his butt held up. (laughs) 